Hi, this is Christy. And before I introduce today's episode, I want to say a big thank you to Shelly and Joyce, two of my newest supporters on Patreon. Their monthly support helps me create this podcast and the YouTube content at A Fostered Life, all of which is free, by the way, and I'm really encouraged by their support. If you would like to become a patron of A Fostered Life, please visit patreon.com slash a fostered life to sign up. Welcome to A Fostered Life, the show in which we explore the various facets of foster care through the voices of the many people who participate in the system. I'm your host, Christy Tennant Crispin, and this is episode 16. Melissa Riley is an author and entrepreneur who draws from her own experience as a youth in foster care to produce resources aimed at helping children in challenging circumstances use their imagination as they process some of the harder aspects of their reality. Her first children's book, Tommy's Two Mommies, was published in 2019. The story follows young Tommy as he goes between his mom and his foster mama on a weekend visit to his mother's treatment center. Tommy's Two Mommies features gorgeous illustrations by Roy Concio and is available on Amazon or at afosteredlife.com slash resources. Melissa shared about her experiences in foster care as well as her reflections on being adopted at the age of 12 and then reconnecting with her parents as an adult. As a foster and adoptive parent, I found Melissa's perspective and openness so insightful, and I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Well, um, I always start my interviews with the exact same question, which is, when did your life first intersect with the foster care system? So I was five years old when me and my sister were taken from my mom. And uh, we were taking, uh, well, we were taken from a hotel uh, downtown Skid Row. And what basically happened was um, I was born actually in Louisiana. And um, my mom and my dad, they experimented a lot with drugs and it affected our household tremendously. Mm -hmm. So um, with that being said, they fought a lot. It was a lot of domestic issues within our home that me and my sister witnessed. But the straw that broke the camel's back was my mom was stabbed six inches away from her heart. And when she was in Louisiana, well, to be uh, transparent, my dad is um, African-American and my mom is Mexican. My grandparents were born in Mexico, her Mm -hmm. parents. Mm -hmm. So back then, the interracial dating was kind of shunned upon. Mm -hmm. So... My dad dealt with racism from her side of the family and which made them go to Louisiana where his side of the family was more accepting. Mm -hmm. And so I, that's how I ended up being born in Louisiana. My sister's two years older than me. She was born out here. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, things just got rough. They went to Louisiana and then that happened where my mom was stabbed. And one of my dad's sisters basically put us on a Greyhound from Louisiana to here because my grandparents lived in West Covina, my mom's parents. Mm-hmm. And so um, we came here and my mom told them what happened. <clears throat> um, my grandfather uh, was very racist, but he had his own reasoning because he had a, a, a Mexican best friend who was killed 
by some black guys during like a store robbery. Mm. So he kind of had his own. Once he told it to me, you know, I kind of, I, not to say I understand your racism, mm-hmm. but it's like, okay, you know, you know, whatever. Yeah. But he, um, he didn't want us to come there because the situation was so traumatic. And he thought that my dad would come to California looking for us, which he eventually did. Hmm. And um, so opposed to them saying, oh, come bring my grandbabies here. You guys are safe here. My grandfather said, no, you can't come here. I don't want that drama at my doorstep. And so my mom, um, we stayed, we were, I never forget, we were the um, Union Station uh, downtown. I, I know you're probably not familiar with California, but it's like the big bus station where the buses come. Okay. There's a McDonald's right in front of it. And my mom was on that payphone, And I will never forget like her breaking down, crying and me and my sister watching her. Cause my grandfather said, you know, you can't come here. Wow. So also downtown Los Angeles is where you can find like the union rescue missions and the soup kitchens. And mm-hmm. these are all like shelters, homeless shelters. So we start walking my mom found a shelter. We stayed there for the night. Uh, it was uh, drama in there because, like, people would steal, and you know, it was a lot. You're around some of very unfortunate people, and the news people came in one day, and they were paying ladies for their story. So my mom actually volunteered to give her story, but she said, "Can you guys black me out?" And so they interviewed her, and it was a paid interview, and. Back then, the hotel that we stayed in, the Cecil Hotel, was like 36 bucks a night. So my mom went and got us a hotel, and we stayed at the hotel. You know, she did some things to make ends meet, you know, Mm -hmm. living out there on the street. Mm -hmm. But I don't, at that age, I kind of understood and kind of didn't. But Mm -hmm. she made sure that we had the room every night. And so we stayed there for about two months, maybe a month and a half. My dad ended up finding us, and I'll never forget that day either. Uh, He came to California because his family, you know, he was here before as well. Um, So he was familiar. And long story short, it was a lot going on. And we got taken away from the hotel, and then that's how I landed in foster care. Okay. And then once you were in care... um what was that journey like? Do you, did you have to bounce a lot? Did you find, were you in a, yeah. What was that like? Yeah. I stayed, me and my sister, um, fortunately my sister is like the strongest woman alive because Mm -hmm. they were trying to separate us and she kept us together throughout the six foster homes that we lived in. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. So, uh, I will say three of them were great. And three of them were not so great. Um, me and my sister both were molested in the system. Wow. Um, we both dealt with a lot. Like, for instance, you know, we did, we lived in a Hispanic home where the lady would not let us sit at the table and eat. We had to eat in the backyard with the dogs. And um, it's called Tres Leche now, but... Back then, we just knew it as rice and milk, and that was like food every day for us. And me and my sister were so over it that we would start feeding the dogs because we would sit in the back where it was like a garden area that she had, and the dogs were right there. So we start feeding the dog the food. The dog got sick, so we had to leave that home. Mm. (laughs) So, um, you know, we went through a, a number of things in the system, but I will say that there was a home where 
She was wonderful. She the check that came every month, she paid uh, not, not not paid us, but she utilized it for us. Yeah. Um, you know, I was in dance class. My sister was in music lessons because that's what we that she literally got to know us. Yeah. And she was like, let's figure out what your passion is. And we're going to I want to push you forward, you know, and that was like one of the great, greatest experiences of my life. Like I got to travel all around California, do dance competitions. I was like maybe eight years old, wow. but I could like do flips and, and oh my gosh, I was the captain. So <sighs> the splits and all that. So it's like, yeah, it, that was a great experience. So, you know, and to this day, like I have her on Facebook wow. and we communicate back and forth and tell each other happy birthday. And, you know, yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, then one home that I got in that, uh, the next home, the daughters would like fight the mom for the checks every month. Wow. <laughs> it was a lot, so much so. And, and, and it was crazy because when I got adopted, um, that was actually the home that I got adopted into like the family. <laughs> I wow. met the dad of the, the foster dad's sister at a fish fry gathering that they had. And, um, she said, it's just, uh, it was something about us. And we start spending the night at her house, um, because she went and got certified to, um, a foster parent. And then, uh, she was like, you know, she wanted to, I don't know. She just said she wanted to be in me and my sister's lives. And she ended up adopting us and the adoption process took a while, but I met her at the age of nine and the adoption was finalized at 12. Wow. And um yes, so um it was it was rough because at the age of me being twelve I was like just becoming a teenager. Um I wish that me and my adoptive mom was closer, but she's so older. Like mm-hmm. right now she's like seventy something. Mm-hmm. Like when she adopted us she was pushing fifty. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like we're we 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 kind of aren't as close as I wish we could be. And it's mm-hmm. kind of due to me as well. But I found my parents again. I found my dad when I was 16. And how I found him was I wanted a job. And my mom, my adoptive mom, she had two older daughters. That was her biological daughters. And then she had me and my sister, which she adopted. So basically... She had a folder uh, cabinet where each of us had our name on folder with important paperwork, our birth certificates and such. So um, when I wanted to get the job, I went to the district to get a permit because I was 16. So I needed a work permit. Mm-hmm. So I went in the in the file cabinet and I got my stuff out, but I'm a little nosy. Mm-hmm. So I went in my sister's folder and I saw a letter and it was addressed from Louisiana and when we were, when we left Louisiana, I was what five and my sister was seven. So my aunt Lily, who was my dad's sister, used to babysit us all the time and always had like the family gatherings at her, her big, beautiful home, which I can close my eyes and still remember. Mm. She wrote the letter to us and she said, we've been trying to find you. Your aunt Lena wanted to adopt you guys. Wow. You know, your foster mom is, is not letting, uh, letting you guys see we came to court. Well, my Aunt Lena, who lives out here in California, came to court. Your foster mom refused her. Uh, she said you guys didn't go. She refused the visit. You know, so um, at that time, I kind of felt away because mm-hmm. I felt like, you know, why wouldn't 
although you have taken us in and adopted adopted us and given us a stable home, me and my sister still don't feel the love that we feel we require, Mm -hmm. and you're stopping us from getting that from our biological family. So that's Mm -hmm. how I kind of felt. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I asked her, I took the letter downstairs, and I said, hey, what is this letter? You know, um, she said, oh, I was waiting for you guys to turn 18 to give it to you. I said, well, Vanessa's 18 and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm 16. So mm-hmm. why haven't Vanessa seen it? You know, mm-hmm. my sister at the time was at Humboldt County at Humboldt University. And she says, uh, well, I was waiting for you to turn 18. Then I was mm-hmm. going to sit you both down, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's fine. I said, well, I'm 16, but I want to call, mm-hmm. you know, I want to mm-hmm. call her. I remember her. She said, go ahead and call. So I called and my aunt cried when I told her who I was. And she said, your dad has been looking for you guys nonstop. He's still out there in California. And I said, my dad is out here. And she's like, yeah, you know. And so, yeah, that's how I found my dad again. She gave me his number and I called. And my first conversation with my biological dad was um, a regretful one on my end, but it was necessary because I needed to release. I kind of just like, went off on him because I felt like I wasn't protected and he was supposed to be. See, from from zero to five, I was daddy's girl. Mm-hmm. And my sister looks like my mom more so, and I look like my dad more so. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, they were just closer, and me and my dad were closer. Mm-hmm. I used to wet the bed, and my mom would vent to him about how she was frustrated washing the covers and smelling the urine. And my dad would literally pick me up I mean, wake me up in the morning when he was going to work because I was too young to go to school. And I remember as a little kid, like four years old, sitting on cars with him while he fixed cars at the mechanic shop all day in every ice cream truck that passed. I literally would go get something from each one. Wow. So I up oh, the ice cream truck, up oh, that, you know. So I was daddy's girl, but I also saw his mean and ugly side too. But I was still daddy's girl. So I let out on him and then... um I had my first car at 16. He said, I want to see you. You know, me and my my adoptive parents, we discussed it. He ended up coming by and he said, I'm still a mechanic. And if you ever have problems with your car, don't go to no mechanic. Let your dad fix it. Please let me help. Whatever I can do to help, you know, and Ever since then, me and my dad have been like uh, bread and butter. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and we're really tight. I work, he's a contractor. I worked with him. He taught me how to fix multiple things on houses. And uh, yeah, he's, he's awesome. He's awesome. Wow. What a story. Yeah, so I've since forgiven him. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, there's so many things about your story that I want to, I would love to ask more about. Um, one of the things, though, that I just really hope people listening, because I think, I think my audience is primarily foster parents and people who are thinking of becoming mm-hmm. foster parents and maybe even adoptive parents. And so one of the things that I know is that I have learned more from hearing stories like yours from people who have lived through it than anywhere else. And so one of the things that I just really hope people are hearing is it is it is not comfortable for a foster parent or an adoptive parent. Um, it is uncomfortable but highly necessary to initiate giving your children permission and freedom 
to know the family they come from and if at all possible to be in touch with them. I mean, um, we've had kids in our care who are not in touch with their parents, but they are in touch Mm -hmm. with other relatives, you know, because they have other relatives who wanted to stay in touch. Their parents were not able to or were not inclined to for different reasons. But, you know, so I just really hope people listening, I'm kind of speaking from the two of us, I'm speaking to the people listening there, yes. I, I want to dig more into this eventually, but really, you cannot assume that kids will just put away their history. You had years of history with a family. You had a family. Yeah. And, um, and you can't just be expected to put that aside. So I appreciate you sharing that. I think there's a lot more awareness today in the adoption community um, than there used mm-hmm. to be, even 20 years ago, you know. You know, it's also mm-hmm. important too. A lot of times people think that kids don't remember, but I remember my childhood in Louisiana. I remember when we got our first apartment because when we first lived there, we lived with my Aunt Lily at her home, but my dad worked and we. I remember the day when he dropped the keys in my mom's hand and they hugged and we were kids, you know, yeah. like, but I remember from like, four on up, you know, Mm -hmm, so a lot mm -hmm. of times you assume that the kids don't remember and they don't see things in their dreams and they don't, I'm 31 years old right now. And I can Mm -hmm. tell you everything about my Aunt Lily's house from the pool table to everything, you know? And so, and I met my mom again at 19. Wow. And I I will, I remember, um, it hurt, it hurt my, my adoptive dad because I was on the phone with one of my friends and I was excited and I guess I was speaking too loud and I said, Oh, my real dad is going to come and fix the car. And, mm-hmm. and there was such a big hoopla, your oh. real dad, your real dad. And I, what did I say? Mm-hmm. What did I say wrong? And it was just like, well, he, well, uh, Oh my God. And then my mom was upset. And then my sisters, Oh, you heard dad's feelings. And mm-hmm. I was like, I was just excited and speaking yeah. and didn't think, it was a severe word that was like real, you know, the real part. Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. then when I got, you know, after being adopted and then, um, I worked my job that I was trying to get at 16 was for the after school program Mm -hmm, at a school. mm -hmm. So I ended up getting the job. No, no, no. That's a lie. My first job was at Disneyland. So I worked, (laughs) I worked at Disneyland part time for the summer. That was the first one. And then after I did that, I got a job, at the school. So my jobs have always been with children mm-hmm. and I've worked at numerous FFAs, probably everyone around um, Los Angeles, probably every foster family agency that exists in Los Angeles, I've tapped in with. And that real word is so taken so seriously. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, how can we work this differently? You know, mm-hmm. after like, making the documents for the personal, um, mm-hmm. you know, behind the scenes and things. It's like, okay, we have to watch how we word this. And mm-hmm. it's like, I wish that it wasn't taken so seriously mm-hmm. because after all, it's just a word. But at that time, the way I felt and how big of a fuss it was, I remember I met my mom at 19 and it was hard for me to call her mom and Oh, I have to call her Mary because I don't want to hurt my oh. spot, my my adoptive mom's feelings right. this time, you yeah. know. Yeah. So it was so hard to. I want to love my real mom. I remember yes. her being caring and loving, yes. and you know. And it's like I can't even be myself 
Yeah. You know, like yeah. when my mom passed away, um, I was 19 when I met her. She passed away when I was 26. Hmm. Um, and it was crazy because she was, she ended up being sober for 12 years when we met her. And wow. I remember like the day we met her again, she was jumping up and down like a teenager, like getting their first car, you know, wow. like when we pulled up, when we pulled up in front of the house at my grandparents' house in West Covina, she was going crazy and she had been sober for 12 years and her lifestyle from before ended up catching up to her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, her liver and everything yeah. ended up, you yeah. know, just naturally shutting down. She was pretty young. She was 57. Wow. But um, I remember meeting her and, like, it was a strand between me and her because I felt like I couldn't be close to her. And to this day, I feel terrible because I didn't get as close to my mom as I wanted to get to my mom mm-hmm. on account of my adoptive mom. Yes. feelings you know so it's like yeah no well I mean this is something that really the onus is on foster moms and adoptive moms we and I'm speaking to my people right we have to get over ourselves and we have to recognize it is not about us and if we are loving these children as our own children we need to we need to let them and want them to have the wholeness. I mean, we if we want the best for our children, yes. we need to recognize that their wholeness does in in big part depend on their ability to know as much as possible of their parents that they come from and um and to know them if at all possible. And we have to be willing to leave open doors for redemption to happen and to recognize this is yes. not this is not a typical family. This is not the clean cut, you know, one mom, it's one a dad. Huge apple you're about it to bite is. out of. It is. And you know, we have and I can speak from okay, so I've benefited from reading a lot and hearing a lot. And I can tell you it is really hard to be in that position, and it's something that we have to do to say, you know what, I'm not threatened. I can, I have to choose. I'm not threatened by the fact that my daughter wants to know her other mom. She wants to know, and we call her first mom. We call her um, other mom. I mean, you know, and we've just recognized, and um, for each of our kids, some of them we can know more. Some of them we can't know as much because they're just completely unavailable. Um, but, um, you know, I just, I, this is such a huge thing. And I think that we have adoptive parents need to get over themselves and stop okay. acting like it is about us and our feelings. And if our, if our children have to lose and miss out on a relationship with the woman who gave birth to them or the father who gave birth to them, because we are, they're worried about hurting our feelings. We are failing our kids. We are failing them. So I'm so glad you I brought think, this up. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is tremendous because I will tell you now, me and my sister, she writes poetry and me finding my biological mom helped me identify with myself and say, you know what, I'm a writer yeah. because we literally were sitting down in Wendy's, my laptop was up, her laptop was up and we both were like, you know, it's cool, we like writing, you know, because yes. I read books, that what got, that's what got me through the foster care system. I, mm. uh, I used to cry for my books. No, when they're packing my things from one home, I need my books, you know, wow. I used to cry for them. And my sister used to fight for them, for my books, you know, so yeah. we were sitting in a Wendy's, and we were both on our laptops, and 
they're like, isn't it crazy we found dad? Like, wow, that's crazy. So she's like, we really need to write a book. You know, mm-hmm. we need to do something. And I said, you know, we should. So then we start writing. And then we went back to that same Wendy's and we we're sitting there. And I said, you know, it feels weird. We're telling mom's story and we don't have mom's side of the story. Like we're just going off what dad is saying. And wouldn't it be cool if we could find her? And it was like fate because my sister was on her, her thing. And one of the spam um, promos popped up about finding a relative. Wow. And she was like, we should pay this fee right here and let's just see. And I was like, let's do it. Like, so we paid the fee right then and there. And it ended up giving us an uncle of ours who was married to my mom's sister. We called him. He cried. Mm. He said, oh, my God, your mom is going to be overjoyed. We say, is she alive? Yes, she's alive. She's wow. sober. Oh, she looks so good. And, wow. oh, my God, uh, what do you guys want me to do? I, he said, I don't want to give nobody a heart attack. Can I call and prepare them? Can I give them your number? And we say, yeah, give her our number and tell her to call us whenever she's ready. And she ended up calling and. You know, my mom, we used to uh, go sit for Mother's Day. We took her to Joe's Crab Shack. You know, we were Mm -hmm. able to make memories with her. Uh, We were able, she was able to meet my baby. You Uh. know, like she she was able to feel him, hug him, kiss him, and feel the joy of being a grandmother. You know, Uh. so it was, that was so awesome for us. But um, we sat at Joe's Crab Shack and, and I would have my computer up and my sister would have hers up. And she would talk about her life and we would just type away, you know, so it, wow. it was awesome to have her for the time that we did. That's um, just incredible. But, yes. So, yes. And but the, it was sad because to get back to the adoptive parents, it was like a secret where we would go take her mm-hmm. out. And me mm-hmm. and my sister would be like, oh, do we tell Barbara that we're taking her out or mm-hmm. like, what do we do? And then, yeah. you know, when my mom passed, um, we told my, because basically my, my biological mom wanted a relationship with my adoptive mom. Wow. She said, I would love to speak with her and get to know her and hear about, you know, your, your graduations and your mm-hmm. proms because mm-hmm. my sister went to three proms. But when I saw how expensive it was, I was like, you know, I'm not really into boys and I don't want to go to prom. Can you just buy me a car? My mom was like, <laughs> you graduate with all A's. And I'll get you a car. And oh. at that time, I was on homeschool, and I told my teacher, Mr. Hill, my mom said if I graduate with all A's, she's going to give me a car. He said, oh, we're going to do what, – what, <laughs> what, what are you struggling with? Let's master it. You want to come in tomorrow? We can study. We can... And so we worked hard. I had my little Fort Focus. <laughs> wow. And yeah, so my adoptive parents, they got me my first car, you know. And But when my mom um, – she wanted a relationship with her. She wanted to hear all of these things, you know. And I believe they spoke on the phone like twice, mm. but my adoptive mom just didn't give the energy that yeah. my um, biological mom was trying. She didn't, they weren't, on, I don't know, it's weird, but they didn't yeah. click, I guess I should say. Hmm. But, um, you know, like even when my, my um, biological mom passed, it hurt me and my sister that we had called and we told uh you know, my adoptive mom, I, I call her mom, you know, yeah, but sure. she, we called and told her and, oh, I'll be at the funeral. What do you guys need? You know, whatever. And uh, she didn't show up at the funeral, you know, mm-hmm. and so it wasn't that 
we wanted to hurt her. It was that we needed her, her, her help to help us heal. Like we needed yes. to, we were losing one mom and we yeah. needed the help to the, the shoulder to cry on yeah. knowing that we still had our other mom, you know, yes. and it was actually the dad's mom that was there, you know, doing that for us, which was a blessing, but that had actually kind of hurt our feelings. Like, of wow. Course. Of course. And then, you know, I called her and I, I'm very transparent. I said, why didn't you come to the funeral? You know, and she said, I, I just got up and I started to get dressed and it was so cold that I just got back in the bed. Wow. And I was just like, you know, whatever struggles you're dealing with, let's openly talk about them. But she's the type that just likes to sweep things under the rug. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little patch between us where I wish we could be closer, but, you know. There's some history. Uh, some There's people. some history and some things yeah. that you just, you can't do anything about. I mean, um, right. you can't force intimacy more than both people are willing to, to go there. Um, right. But um, yeah, I think there's something else that just, I want to say again to people who are in the position of being adoptive parents, we have to really recognize where we feel a sense of ownership over the children that we've adopted and to recognize that we don't own them. They are not ours in the oh. Oh my sense of we don't own them, right? I mean, that is so. I just did this PSA over the weekend. We just filmed the PSA, and everyone a part of this experience is so awesome. When I tell you, they're so awesome, Christy, and everyone has a different story. Like the the one girl that is in charge, her name is Darla. She's the CEO of a nonprofit. She was adopted at like two weeks old. Wow. With her brother, who was her twin, are they twins? I'm not sure, but her brother, who she wanted to know her family, which she met again when she found out she had siblings and stuff. She wanted to know them, and he didn't. You know, Mm -hmm. it was so, Mm -hmm. the stories are so different, but it was so powerful. And one of the girls brought up, I believe it was her, and she said, You know, I felt like a a rag doll. Like, Mm -hmm. no, you can't, you're ours. You can't Mm -hmm. go see them, you know, because Mm -hmm. they had her since birth. Yeah. So it was like she felt like a possession yes. opposed to a person. Yeah. You know, like I have feelings. I have a sister. I want to see if I look like her. And it's mm-hmm. like, no, you're our, you, you, this is your sister. You know, like, mm-hmm. it's like I, mm-hmm. I, I totally felt her on that because yeah. it was like, that's deep, you know? Right. There are so many dynamics. And for people who are looking at adoption as a means of making a family that they still get to sort of control the narrative of their family, we have right. to get, we, we need to stop doing that. And adoptive families need to understand this is a whole different ballpark and your child will have unanswered questions and they will haunt them whether, whether you like it or not. And so just, just dive in. I said to my husband the other night, we got to just, we had a conversation with one of our kids who had a lot of questions all of a sudden. And the questions always come when I'm not, you know, I'm sitting there in my pajamas ready to, you know, drink my first cup of coffee. And there's my little spitfire asking right. me a bunch of questions, you know, cause it's been on her <laughs> mind. And I'm right. like, well, let's, you know, and so I'm reading her the text message exchanges that I've had with her, with her mom. I'm telling her everything I know, because here's the thing. It, it's going to leave a gaping hole in her if I don't. 
And so I want her to know. And I also think it's a matter of trust. If my daughter or my sons, my other daughter, if if they know that I will always be upfront with them about what I know. Yes. It's going to build their character. Their character, but their trust Mm -hmm. in me. I want them to to really feel like they can trust me and that I'm not going to hold back from them. I'm not going to hide things from them. You know, I've heard it said that um, adopted children should know everything that you know by the time they're 13, basically by their the time they're getting ready to start um, adolescence, you know, mm-hmm. maybe even sooner. But I'll tell you, I, I've been able to see that my daughter, who's only six, my younger daughter, she needs to know everything I know now. I mean, obviously age appropriate and not getting <clears throat> yeah. into things that are no, like the sooner, too much the for her. Better. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, yes. so the sooner, the better. Um, even though, uh, you know, that's why I feel like this book is so important. It was so yes. important for me to write this book. Yes. I want kids to know it's okay. Like, it is okay. Like, I, I have to go start reading at elementary schools. And I, for me, I know that the whole school isn't foster kids or, you know, the whole kindergarten mm-hmm. class that I'm going to mm-hmm. read to mm-hmm. aren't foster children. But there's going to be that one kid at, at, at each school that's sitting in the audience, that is a foster child, that's ashamed of being a foster child, that is going to look up and, and hear, my name is Tommy, and I have two mommies, and one is my foster mom, and that one child is who I'm looking to reach. Yes. That one child is who I'm looking to put him in the comfort zone and say, wow, she wrote a book, and she was a foster kid, and that... That is what it's about for me. And this is what really initiated my reaching out to you. I ordered the book and I had it sitting on the... Thank you. Yes. And I had it sitting on the table. And one of my children who has had many mommies, and I'm just the latest one and I'm going to be the forever one, but he's... Uh, He has bonded with, you know, he has bonded with um, other women who are in his heart, mommies to him because he's had some really Mm -hmm. good foster moms and then um, relatives who have, you know, parented him. And um, so he saw this book and he, he has, in fact, when I was getting ready to call you, I couldn't find it because he had it in his room. So it's, I was looking around, I was like, oh my gosh, I need to, I want to have the book in my hands while we're talking, but I couldn't find it. And then I was like, I think it must be in his room. And I did find it in there. But I think it's so wonderful how you use imagination. Can you talk a little bit about how you decided to take the approach with this story of giving Tommy this really vibrant imagination? Is that something that you did as a small child? Um, well, as a child, like I said, I, I, as soon as I could read, I used to love to read. And for me, when I read, I it takes me somewhere else. It's kind of like watching a movie Mm -hmm. where your brain turns off and you Mm -hmm. just travel wherever the book takes you. Mm -hmm. So for me, yes, yes. And no, at the same time, because, um, my son was the inspiration for a lot of the imaginative things in that book. Uh, like when he was younger, my car broke down, we rode the bus for a while and there's the, big but I don't know if you guys have them in Seattle but there's a bus that's connected and it looks like a ukulele in the middle one of the things that um I don't know how to explain it but my son always called it the caterpillar bus Mm -hmm. so that's how we do have those yep okay yes so that's how the metro bus became a giant caterpillar so um 
the imagination was, yes, some of my imagination, but my son also contributed a lot because it was his imagination too Mm -hmm. as a kid. I -hmm. I started writing it when he was four. Okay. And in the book, Tommy is five. So my son played a huge part in a lot of the, um, the, the uh, imaginative part of it because he would say things just randomly. And I was like, you're so silly, you know, Mm -hmm. but I actually like, played a great part in the book. So yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, this story, um, one of the strengths I feel like one of the things I love most about the story line is that you're giving Tommy permission to love both women. Um, oh, yeah. He doesn't have to choose one or the other. I mean, you can see that he struggles and you're also showing, okay, so you're showing that, but you're also showing that children are very excited to go see their mom and not so mm-hmm. excited when the visit ends and it's time to go back. Right. And it's not because they don't like their foster home when we need to get over Mm-mm. ourselves. <laughs> no, he has an awesome room when he goes he home. He does, yes. But his yeah. mom, I mean, but I think again, we need to recognize and you captured this so beautiful. You just captured it so beautifully that that um, nobody can replace what is left in a child when their mom no. is taken out of their life. No. Someone can mother them and someone can be another important person in their life, but that, that particular hole can only be filled by that one person. Right. So It's also important because Tommy's mom is actually in a you know, like a facility, which they do allow kids to go see their their parents at facilities. But even though she's battling her struggles and she's in the facility, he still looks up to her as as his superhero. He still sees her as an awesome person. And when they get together, it's an awesome time, you know, and that that's important, too, because it's not, oh, I can't wait to go be with my mom uh, just because I'm going to be with my mom. No, it's just the fact of the loving and caring yes. feeling that he has being with her. Mm-hmm. It's provided by both women. Mm-hmm. And so it's spread out. You know, the love is, is just spread out. Yeah. It's not too thin. You yes. know, there's plenty of love to give. There is. I tell my kids all the time, love is the one thing that when you divide it, it just gets bigger. <laughs> it yes, doesn't, it like, does. it's not like we're cutting it in half and you get half and you get half. No, when you cut love in half, each person still gets the whole, you know? They still, yes. So, it's, um, more, it's even better. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the other thing I would say about this book for people who are listening, and I'm going to, um, I'm going to do a giveaway and I'm going to, um, I don't remember, I don't know exactly how I'm going to do it right now, but I'm going to do a giveaway. Mm-hmm. I will announce it when I put this podcast live because I'll have to put, produce it and then I'll put it up. But um, I will be giving away a copy of Tommy's to mommies, so to one oh, lucky listener. But so um, awesome. <laughs> yeah, but one, one of the things that I also just want to say to uh, foster and adoptive moms who are listening, that um, I feel like this book is as much an educational resource for us as it is for our kids mm-hmm. to have like a vehicle. I mean, it's a children's book and, you know, um, I can already tell you, like I've already said, one of my kids particularly has really resonated and it's often the book that he wants to hear at night. He's processing Love his it. story and it's giving him, and I said to my husband, cause my husband was reading, we have a few children's books that deal with adoption and, um, also transracial families. Cause we are a transracial okay. family. And, um, and, um, some of our kids aren't that interested in those books, but one particularly mm-hmm. is. And 
Um, I said to my husband, I think any book that shows a family that isn't the typical, everyone looks the same, you know, and it's one right. mom, one dad, and, you know, no trauma or anything. I think any story that shows our kids different ways that families look is a good story for our kids because they need to of know, course. you know, they're not, I mean, I just was at lunch. I went and had lunch with my son at school the other day and he is brown and I am white as the day is long. <laughs> and, oh um, and this, you know, he's young enough that the kids are pretty unfiltered. And so we're sitting there and this yeah. other child looks at me and goes, is that your mom? And he says, yes. I said, yes, I am. Aren't I the luckiest lady in the world? And this boy said, yeah. but she's white <laughs> it was just like oh he was God. just stating the obvious but um but I just started kissing my son on the head and I just said you know what aren't we beautiful together don't we don't we and it just so mm -hmm. happened that that day he and I were wearing matching t-shirts because we both had on our school logo t-shirts I said okay I said well look we're both wearing the same shirt so look we go together I mean I don't we're know on the I same team reaching exactly we're on the same team but you know I know yeah. and I know my son is going to have many more experiences like that and um there's a lot of good insight and resources out there for um transracial families as well to try right, to really be prepared right. and help our kids prepare for answering those those invasive questions but mm -hmm. um but I think your book is a tool is a is an education for the parents as well to really get some insight and to see I mean the other thing I love that you did in this story is it wasn't a visit supervisor who picked up this child and took him to his visit with his mom it was his foster no mom. they work together I love that I love that. yes they yeah. work together yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is just they a, work together. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. I'm so happy to Thank have found you. it, and I'm so grateful that you were willing to take some time to share today. Um, Melissa, what what else is coming up for you? You said you're doing some PSA. Do you want to talk about any of your other work that you're doing? Um, well, uh, the PSA is being put together. It's a profit called uh, Refined Purpose, Refining Purpose, actually. And um, that's going to be pretty awesome. Um, things are going to run smoothly after that, according to how that how people react to it, because it's mm -hmm. pretty raw. But basically, we're trying to bring attention to the foster care system and the good side and the downside. But yep. we're really trying to work towards improving the downside and bringing it up to a level where we can respect the foster care system and foster parents are honored and respected mm -hmm. the way they should be. You know, because that's a huge, huge, huge challenge that you guys take on. But when you do it gracefully, it's just like your angel sent from above. Hmm. So I feel like, you know, we have to really find a way that we can honor and make the system uh, more better for foster parents hmm. to be able to more com be more comfortable and navigate through the process of, you know, the challenging things you experience it's hard for the foster parent as well as the foster child. Mm. Um, so that's something I'm excited about. Um, and then also uh, Tommy's too, mommy. His, his journey doesn't end there. Um, I have, he's going to eventually go visit his dad. His dad is a little bit more uh, well off. He's not in a treatment center. Uh, he has his own home, but, you know, he has some difficulties in life as well. But he's going to go on a summer adventure with his dad where they go fishing. Wow. And then the third book, 
I'm struggling with the outcome because I haven't decided if Tommy is going to either be adopted or if Tommy is going to be uh, family reunified. So I'm trying to figure out how to work it in maybe both ways. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But yeah, so that's the upcoming things. That's what I actually have been working on is keeping Tommy's adventure going. And we're just going to figure it out as we go for the Mm -hmm. final one. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the next one coming will be a Tommy summer adventure with his dad. It's going to be a fishing trip. So yeah, so that's pretty exciting. How wonderful. Well, folks who want to order a copy of Tommy's Two Mommies can find a link on my website under the resources page, or you can just go to Amazon and you can, um, you can look up Tommy's Two Mommies. Is there a website that people can follow you at, or would you like to share your Instagram or anything else for people who might want to connect with you online? Uh, my Instagram is mommy underscore grind. And then uh, the book actually has an Instagram as well, which is called Tommy's The Number Two Mommies. And yeah, the uh, link is also available. Uh, The link to the website is available through the Instagram page. And you can follow me um, on Facebook, Melissa Riley Dash Henson. So there we have it. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time today and for everything you're doing. Thank you for creating this wonderful resource. I can't wait to see the other ones that you're working on. No, thank you for showing the appreciation for it because that's what I do it for. It makes me feel so good to know that your son is gravitated towards the book because like I said, it's not going to resonate in every kid's heart, but the ones that it do, that's, that's important. That's what's important for me. You've been listening to my conversation with author and entrepreneur, Melissa Riley. To follow Melissa on Instagram, you can find her at mommy underscore grind. And also look for her book, Tommy's Two Mommies, on Amazon or at afosteredlife.com slash resources. Be sure to subscribe to A Fostered Life Podcast so you don't miss a single episode. And if you're enjoying this resource, please consider becoming a patron of A Fostered Life on Patreon. To learn more about how to pledge as little as $1 a month to support this podcast, as well as the YouTube channel and blog, please go to patreon.com slash a fostered life. For more information and resources for foster parents, please visit afosteredlife.com where you'll find blog posts, recommended reading, YouTube videos, and social media links, all designed to help foster parents feel more equipped for their foster care journey. It's my prayer that no foster parent ever feels like they're going at it alone. If you're a foster parent who's feeling like you're out there on your own, consider joining the Flourishing Foster Parent, a community designed to encourage, equip, and connect foster parents. You can find info on the Flourishing Foster Parent at afosteredlife.com FFP. One more thing, if you're enjoying this podcast, please take a moment to rate A Fostered Life on iTunes. It would help me out so much. Thanks for listening, and thanks for caring about foster care.